My Grace family, so good that you are tuning in with us. We have this next 45-minute segment where you just get to be present, which is the gift that I have realized that I have, no matter what, during this past season, is that I get to be present to wherever I am. Uh, long are the days for me where I've been stuck in future planning, and I just recognize that God wants me here. And so you have 45 minutes, so to cast those cares and anxieties and fears aside and recognize that God wants to meet with you. Uh, he wants to meet with you through the worship and the teaching and the discussion questions. And so uh, what a gift that we have today in worshiping our Lord and Savior. Let me take a minute and pray, and, uh, and then we will open ourselves up to what God has for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we seek you and we seek your face. We want to know you better. We want to know what you have for us, God. Uh, align us to your will. Give us more of you. God, may we um, not carry these burdens anymore. Lord, I ask that you would take these burdens from us and that you would give us your wisdom and your way. Lord, that you would show up, um, that our faith would increase as we trust you day by day during these times, God. Um, ignite in us the passion to worship you and to know you more and to uh, just love others well during this time, to take risks. Uh, that we wouldn't normally take in order to love well. God, we are so glad that you are our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me then sleep. Savior and my God, with Christ. 
We'll be looking at the same passage as last week, but discussing our identity in Christ. So this is Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. So this fall, we are walking through Ephesians 1 through 3. We're actually taking the first month to look at these first 14 verses because they are so rich so rich in terms of what God has done for us, who He is, and who we are in Christ. And so last week we began with this really big picture ideas that all these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, they have as their source the pleasure of God, God's joy in giving us all these blessings, and they have as their ultimate goal the praise of God's glory, that God would receive praise and glory and honor. When we see all that He's done, we would marvel at His grace, and we would respond with all creation in worship and praise. And so today we're going to look at another very high-level idea and another phrase that gets repeated a bunch of times in this passage. You may not have picked up on it, but it's there a lot. And it's this little phrase. It is one of the most important phrases in all the New Testament. And it's this simple phrase, in Christ. And this phrase, in Christ, or in Him, actually shows up over 10 times in this passage. Verse one talks about us being the faithful in Christ. Verse three, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse four, for God chose us in him. Picking up on the theme here. Verse five, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. 
Verse 6, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ. Over 10 times, that, that being said, this phrase, in Christ. And so I want us to feel the full weight of that phrase this morning. That Paul's saying all these spiritual blessings come to us as we are in Jesus Christ. Paul actually doesn't say that we are saints, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we are chosen, that we're adopted, that we're forgiven, that we're filled with the Spirit. He doesn't say that. He says we're saints in Christ. We have blessings in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. We are adopted in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. So this morning, I want to talk about this simple but profound idea that we are in Christ and that all these spiritual blessings come to us only in as much as we are found in Christ. So I want to talk about our union with Christ, that by faith we have been joined, we've been connected to the person of Jesus. And really, I want to talk about what it means to live with an identity in Christ, that we find our identity by being united with Jesus Christ, that that's the thing that gives us our sense of meaning and purpose and value in the world. That's home base, if I can put it that way. That is that core identity out of which we then engage the world, our identity in Christ. So before I talk about how kind of Paul lays this out for us, I just want to acknowledge a couple secular identities that are out there these days. And these are ways that, that the culture is telling us we ought to find our identity. I think it's helpful to just kind of know the sea that we're swimming in so that we can contrast that with a true identity in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to just mention two. There's lots of them out there. But two identities that um, are very pre prevalent today. Uh, the first is, is that we're being told to find our identity in individual freedom and in self-expression. So this is kind of the the, you know, choose your own identity sort of mindset. It's the you are what you make of yourself. And Pastor Rankin Wilborn perfectly articulates this mindset. I just want to quote from him because he says it so well. This is the identity mindset. We each have a true, authentic self hidden within us. And the path to human flourishing involves discovering and expressing that true self. We must be free from any external authority or expectations that might constrain who we really are. Because, this is a little dated, but he says, as Kanye West recently put it, I'm nothing if I can't be me. So this is a kind of a find your identity from within sort of worldview, right? You, you be you. You that let that heart of yours feel whatever it feels and you go after those feelings. and Don't let anybody stop you from that. That's how you find a true identity in this world. And this is really the official dogma of so many TV shows, so many movies, so many stories that our culture is telling us. And there, there is some beauty in that find identity within model. But I think our cultures begin to experience the profound limitations of that. And here's what's, what's so interesting is all this focus on self and self-expression and freedom of the self to be whatever it wants to be. All of that is actually resulting in greater anxiety in our culture, uh, greater depression in our culture, and actually greater senses of inadequacy and worthlessness in our culture, which is really interesting. We've basically been puffing ourselves up with this message of you're awesome, you're great, you're special, you be whatever you want to be. And it's leading people to more depression and more anxiety 
and more feelings of worthlessness. That is really interesting. And I think the reason is this. We as human beings were never meant to bear the full weight of having to define our own identities. We were never meant to, to carry the weight of, of having to decide from the unlimited number of possibilities of what we could be and, and carrying the entire weight on our own shoulders to carve out a, a personhood that is totally independent of anything else. We just weren't meant to, to bear that way. And there, there are a couple people in the world that can kind of do that who are particularly talented or lucky or have the right connections. But for the average person, that message of unlimited freedom actually is very paralyzing. And that, that message of, of unlimited options actually leaves people with more discontent, not with greater contentment. And, and with more, they're more in bondage, actually. They're not more free. And so I think we're starting to see the limits of that sense of identity. Now, there's another secular identity uh, that's out there today that I think in some ways goes in the other extreme. And, and it doesn't ask us to find our identity in ourselves as individual, but just the opposite, to find our identity in a group that we belong to. And this is, I would call this the identity of tribalism. And it's been around since the beginning of humanity, but it's very prevalent today. And it's really this, your identity is not about you as an individual, but it's about the group to which you belong, that you are fundamentally defined by your group. And various groupings are proposed, right? It might be your, your class. Uh, your socioeconomic level, it might be your ethnicity, or your gender, or your sexual orientation, or your political affiliations, whatever group you may belong to. But the story of the world through this lens is, is fundamentally the story of these groups and how they relate to one another. And so whatever you may or may not do as an individual might be interesting, but what is most true about you, what most defines you, is your identification with one of these groups. Again, there's, there's something positive to that. It's helpful for people to belong to a group. Um, I think it's actually helpful to ask questions about how groups relate to one, in, one another. Those are important questions to ask, but I think the danger of this identity is the danger of pride. Is the, the, the danger of group pride, actually, of a sense of group superiority over others. And we've seen how that's played out in the history of, of our nation and of the world in general. And, and I think by definition, this view of identity can present questions and, and pose problems, but it will never be the solution to those problems because by definition, it is a view that is disunifying. It, it defines people according to their differences. And so it's hard to imagine how it could provide the solutions to the problems that it's presenting. So all that to say, there's, there's these secular identities out there and yet we're being called to find our identity in Jesus Christ. Not in ourselves, in our own desires, in our own pursuits, and not in the groups that we belong in. But our identity comes from our connection to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And here's the beauty of that identity. That identity, on the one hand, frees us from this burden of having to define ourselves, having to justify our own existence. It leaves us with a sense of confidence and, and security that we can just rest in. Right? We don't have to always be redefining it. We can just rest in it. It's a gift that is given to us. So it frees us from the burden of the choose your own identity. And I think it frees us from the danger of pride, of the tribalism identity, 
because the way you get this identity in Christ has nothing to do with a group you belong to. It is given to you as a sheer gift. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And when you experience it, you are humbled by it. I mean, you're just grateful for this gift that God has given. So I want to talk a little bit about how Paul gets us inside our identity in Christ in this passage. And we'll just look at it just a couple minutes of, of looking at this. And what I think is important is to consider this, that before we consider our identity in Christ, we first need to consider what Christ's identity is. And Paul gives us some clues in this passage, two verses, where we get a sense of what Christ's own identity is, because that's what we're being invited to live inside of. So first look at verse 3. Really interesting. Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you could read right over that. But I want to suggest that didn't say what you would have expected. So you would have expected praise be to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't say that. He says, praise be to the God and Father of Jesus Christ. So apparently, Jesus Christ has a God and Jesus Christ has a Father. And so the person we're praising is the God of Jesus Christ and the Father of Jesus Christ. And I think the point that Paul's making here is this. Before God is our God and Father, He is first and foremost Jesus God and Jesus Father. That Jesus and His Heavenly Father, they have this relationship that is unique, that is one of a kind. And in verse 6, I think Paul gives us the essence of that relationship. Look at verse 6. He says, To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us, and here's the phrase, in the one He loves, or literally in the Greek, in the beloved. That's the relationship that Jesus has with His Father. He is the beloved of God. That is the core identity of Jesus. He is God's beloved. And if you read any of the four gospel accounts, you cannot escape the fact that at the center of those stories is this one-of-a-kind relationship, this unique relationship that Jesus has with his Father. It's a relationship of intimacy and joy and delight and affection and obedience because Jesus is his Father's beloved. And that is the core of his identity. That is the center out of which he lives his life. And if you know about Jesus' life, you know it was a very challenging life, right? He faced conflict. He faced uh, the changing whims of the crowds. He faced danger. He faced persecution. He faced trials. He faced temptations. It was a very challenging life. But what is so clear in these accounts is that he moves into that life from this center, this identity of being God's beloved. And so he's always centered he lives out of the love of his Father, and that informs everything he does. So he's able to move out into a challenging world with grace, with love, with kindness, with wisdom, with courage, because he's centered in his identity as God's beloved. And here's the gospel that Paul is articulating about 11 times in this in Christ phrase. Here's the gospel. Jesus' identity as the beloved can become our identity as the beloved. Because on the cross, Jesus suffers and dies and pays for all the sins that kept us from that kind of beloved relationship with the Father. And at the resurrection, he opens this new way 
of human beings relating to God. And here's what he says in the resurrection account in John's gospel, in the garden as as he's meeting with the women, he says this, go and tell my brothers, I am returning to my father and your father. I'm returning to my God and your God. And so this is the gospel, that the God and father of Jesus Christ can become our God and father because we can now be found in Jesus Christ. And how does this happen? This happens by faith, right? When we put our trust in Jesus, when we say, I believe and I trust in you and what you've done for me, we are joined to the person of Jesus Christ. We are united to him forever. We are now, as Paul says here, in Christ. And there are so many passages in scripture that that say this. Let me give you two of them. Colossians 3.3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is the good news. You and I, by faith, are now in Christ. We are the beloved because we are in the beloved in Jesus Christ by faith. And I know this is kind of a a mysterious and hard concept to grasp. And so I want to just leave you with a a word picture. And this is how I think about this. I mean, I actually think of that phrase in Christ. I think of it physically. Like I just imagine if we are physically in Jesus Christ. And normally we think the other way around. We think about Jesus being in us, right? And if we grew up in church, we are taught to believe that Jesus is living in our hearts. And that's an accurate biblical way of talking. But by far, Scripture talks about the other way way more. It talks about us being in Christ. So here's the picture. I just imagine Jesus, imagine Jesus like this, this huge house, okay? This house with, with plenty of rooms, and this house is now by faith where you live. It's where you reside, and it's what defines your life. And outside the house, there is still a broken and challenging world, right? Outside the house, there are challenges, there are trials, There are voices of accusation, there are fears, there are temptations, but you live inside the house, okay? And what pervades the house is this identity as God's beloved, because this is Jesus' house. He's the beloved, and you now live in him. And so this house is permeated with all of these blessings, with grace and peace, with the delight and the approval and the affection of God the Father. This house is permeated with the spiritual authority that you have as a child of God, as a son or daughter of the King. This house is permeated with the Holy Spirit because you now live in Christ. It's all the blessings he receives, you now receive. And so what Paul is trying to do in this these 14 verses is help us get comfortable in this new house. You are chosen, he says, in Christ. You are adopted in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. You are freed in Christ. You are filled with the Spirit in Christ. This is now who you are in Christ. And so I want to leave you with that image, and I just want to leave you with this simple thought. In the sea of identities that the culture is offering us, by faith, 
This is now your primary identity. You are the beloved in Christ. Your identity is not primarily about what you can make of your life or the, even the decisions you make. It's not primarily about the groups that you belong to. Your primary identity lies in your connection with the Son of God. That is home base for you. Okay, that is the center out of which your life operates. And that's the center of which you then navigate your relationships and you engage in work and you engage in culture and you face whatever challenges your life has. That's the center. And we face a challenging world right now. There's no way around that. There's no way to change that. But the question is this, what is the center out of which you face it? Right? What is the identity from which you will engage it? And the good news is this, your identity is in Christ. You are the beloved. So now go and live a life of love. So how do we respond to these truths? You know, this is one of the fundamental challenges of the Christian life. We encounter God's word. We hear the truth. We either embrace it, believe it, trust it, or we don't. But sometimes we only go so far with it. We hear it. We acknowledge it. We may give assent to it intellectually, but then we live our lives without really embodying these truths that we say we believe. And our lack of truly giving ourselves to the truths of Scripture reveals something about the nature of our belief. Many of us are practical atheists. What I mean by that is many of us give assent to our belief that God's Word is true and has authority for our lives, but the way we think about God, the way we see ourselves, where we find our identity proves otherwise. So how can we help ourselves in this regard? The most important thing, of course, we can do is to go to God with this, just to be honest with Him. He knows all about this anyway, right? There are no secrets with Him. Acknowledging the lack of congruence between our living and His calling for our life is important, and that's confession. But there's something else we can do. We can enfold practices rhythms into our lives that can help ground us in the spiritual realities of God's Word. In our passage in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul spells out all these rich, deep spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Man, if these truths were to really sink in, if we were to deeply believe that they are true of us, that they are truly ours, it would be profoundly transformative. Can you imagine it? Instead of finding our worth and identity in our false selves, which is fool's gold, but instead trusting that what God says about me is true and what I have in Christ is real, that changes everything. So what can we do that will help us? One practice that I'd like to share with you has been really helpful to me over the years. It's a simple practice of detachment and attachment in the form of a prayer. You simply present yourself before the Lord and identify those things that you tend to attach your identity to. Maybe it's a success or success in general or failure. Maybe it's 
a sin in your past or that you feel enslaved to. Maybe it's fear or your limitations, or maybe you find your identity in the roles you play in life, whatever they are. Remind yourself that those things don't define you. Release them. Surrender those attempts to make something of yourself through those things. And then we attach ourselves to the right things. Remind yourself of what God's Word says is true about you. For instance, all these spiritual blessings the Apostle Paul points to in Ephesians, meditate on them, pray over them, pray that the Spirit impresses them on your heart. A daily practice of detachment and attachment will serve us well. So let's give ourselves to this kind of work together as a church family. What a powerful thing to have a church full of people living their lives from a place of spiritual empowerment and identity. And we've provided a resource that you can use as a link in this email that will walk you through this practice that we think you'll find helpful. So let's do this together for the glory of God. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose in battle shame. My value 
fixed my ransom paid at the cross Two wonders here that I confess My worth and my unworthiness My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross in my Redeemer, the greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. I will trust in Him. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied. Well, we hope you found this to be an encouragement to you today, and we invite you to keep the conversation going by engaging the discussion questions immediately following this video. Let us leave you with this benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy in Christ. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, and power through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.